So I would like to start this first episode of Pandora's Perspective by just kind of introducing what I hope to accomplish, and that is fulfilling my own dharma. I have a book that talks about each individual's astrological composition and their related dharma, and in my own, The Cusp of Beauty, being born on September 19th, it deals with having to explicate and elaborate on our culture's historical significance and bringing that significance to a wider area of individuals so that they can introduce that significance into their own lives. And I would like to start by going through the New Testament and the esoteric and what I call the occult significance of it, that is to say the hidden significance of the New Testament's message and how it pertains to understanding ourselves and our world and our place in that world and the direction that we're all inevitably, collectively and individually a part of that world and why we're here and what we're doing and how we can do what we do best uh, to the effect of living a good life. And so instead of starting at the Old Testament, because a great teacher of mine, so to speak, Jordan Peterson, has started at the Old Testament in his recently um, begun series on the psychological significance of the Old Testament or of the Bible. Uh, He begins in Genesis, and as opposed to relapping what he's started, I've decided to start with the New Testament, and the New Testament begins with the Gospel according to Matthew. And so I'm going to read the chapter, chapter 1, Verses 1 through, see what it goes to, 25. And I'll read the whole chapter and then I'll elaborate on what I find as the significance of this chapter. And just go from episode to episode, um, doing likewise from chapter to chapter. And so we read the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abidiabah. I'm going to pronounce some of this wrong. (laughs) Aminibah was the father of Nishon, and Nishon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz and Rahab. Boab was the father of Abed and Ruth, and Abed the father of Jess. Jess was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, 
Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, Jeram the father of Uzariah, Uzariah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Azra, Azra the father of Hezreka, Hezreka the father of Masah, Masah the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josah, Josah became the father of Jenekah and his brothers at the time of the de deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jerichai became the father of Shethelay, Shethelay the father of Zebedal, Zebedal the father of Abrakud, Abrakud the father of Alakim, Alakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zedek, Zedek the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Elid. Elid was the father of Zelarzah, Zelarzah was the father of Mathan, Mathran the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who had been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the, was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Quote, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which translates to mean, God is with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, this chapter, you know, on the surface of things, looks like a lot of names that don't mean much, and today, in our age, where so much of religion is criticized as being mere lies promulgated to usurp the liberty of individuals into a cohesive unit so the masters of society can control individuals by way of brainwashing, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot here to be gained at, but it's my contention that the esoteric and occult significances of even this chapter are profound.
and it's my hope to elucidate what the meaning, the hidden meaning, that is to say the occult meaning, is here seeking to convey to those who have the tools to unlock its significance. And to be honest, it's quite, what's the word, nerve-wracking to dive so deep in the very first chapter of the first gospel of the New Testament because when you understand the occult and, mis and Christianity is a mystery religion, historically and accurately speaking, so the systems of the occult interpretation very much apply to it, and when you consider these methods of interpretation, it's quite astounding the significance that is portrayed from the outset. Um, whereas on the surface, it seems like nothing but, you know, jargon of mindless, mindlessly naming a inconsequential genealogy to the birth of Christ or of Jesus. In fact it gets to the heart of some of the most esoteric and hidden significance that can be found, I think, not only within the Bible, but within all of literature in the history of the world. And so to unpack that, I will say from the outset that it's a common knowledge in certain traditions that every name and repetition of numerical significance has a meaning within interpreting correctly the esoteric and occult significance uh, pertaining to the biblical narratives. And I'm not going to focus so much on the names because I'm doing this offhand and haven't spent time delving into the, each significance of the names um, discussed here in this chapter, but I think it will be sufficient meaningful to look at the numerical um, significance of the genealogy of Christ here in that it says for all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 so we have the number 14 and from David to the de uh, deportation to Babylon 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah 14 generations so right off the bat we have this reoccurring 14 in a set of threes. So one for the generation between Abraham, which is the beginning of the story of Israel proper, to David, then to David to the deportation of Bab into Babylon when they were captured, um, and 14 generations from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah. And so 14, one and four, and numerology you can always um, take a dual interpretation to any multi-numerical um, number such as 14. <laughs> you have on the one hand the one which signifies a genesis, a beginning, a masculine number of a point of departure, of a leadership or, how does one say, an initiating process that gives rise to the rest of the sequences of numbers from in numerology one to nine, and then after nine, of course, the, the process re-begins. Re and so we have a beginning with one, 
And then four, um, numerologically speaking, has to do with uh, foundations and solidity. You have the four corners of the world. You have the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. Uh, you have um, in the astrological chart the four corners of the astrological uh, chart, which is, I believe, is Taurus, the bull. Then you have, what is it next? Taurus. You have the lion of Leo. You have the man, which is Aquarius. And the eagle, which represents the elevated aspects of Scorpio, and so on and so forth. And so we have the number 14, and 14 in numerology, you always add and, and get the, to the common denominator, so to speak, of the numbers. So one and four, you combine those to equal five. And so you have a series of five plus five plus five which equals 15. And 15 is a very interesting number in terms of numer um, the numerology associated with the major arcana of the tarot deck, which is the devil, actually. And the devil gets a lot of flack uh, as being you know, the antithesis of Christ, uh, the antichrist, so to speak. Um, and in the tarot, it can have that connotation, but it also retains within itself the connotation of self-limitation because uh, ultimately the devil, according to Manly P. Hall, who is um, widely regarded as the most highly esteemed occultist of the 20th century, honorary 33rd degree Mason, and who spent his entire life from a very early age uh, investigating the occult and the esoteric sciences, uh, states in his book, um, Magic, a Treasury of the Ethics of Magic, um, a small pamphlet, that the devil actually represents a man-made archetype, not a divinely made archetype, but a man-made archetype which represents the abuse of power. And so with the devil card in the major arcana, it's often associated with a self-limiting um, kind of tyranny that prevents the full usage of one's powers to be used for the accomplishing of one's dharma or one's purpose in life. And that creates a kind of a tyranny by which one becomes enslaved by. And so we have that associated in the genealogy of Christ because 14, 14, 14 equals 5, 5, 5, which equals 15. And so what we have, what we see is that in, within the genealogy of Christ, which is can be understood symbolically as the genealogy of the whole individual, we have a process of one, which is the initiating stage of, of action in, contained within the one and the four and the foundation. Um, a sequence of events where we have essentially our own 
initiatory processes towards a kind of grounding within our own lives that when combined with our intentions and our intentions desires equate to well five in itself equates to a great change and strife um that's what five represents numerologically and then you combine all those and you get the accumulation of those which can be seen as being trapped within the three lower chakras of uh, the base chakra the pleasure chakra and the sexual or the sexual chakra and the power chakra and without rising above the domain and the entrapment of those three chakras you're always going to be under the influence and implementing the characteristics of basically a antichrist type spirit within your life and how you engage with life because all you're going to be focused on is your own self-preservation, your own pleasure, and your own um, power and never rising above that to the fourth chakra which is the heart chakra which is you know connotative of love and <clears throat> the cosmic uh, relationship with the higher power and so you're always going to be trapped in that lower field of vibrational resonance and so that's what the three fours equaling the five which is signifying strife and the change of seeking to always have the world and the people within it serving your own purposes, your own survival, your own pleasure, and your own power, manipulating others to gratify those ends. Um, and that equals, of course, the, the, um, the 15, which is the devil archetype. And so it's interesting that the genealogy of Christ would contain this process of, really it's a process of individuation within the individual and how it leads to when you add the one, again, the generative principle of the one, the masculine principle contained in the one with the five, with the, with the uh, strife, with the changing element that is contained within the five, you get six. And the six in the major arcana is the lovers, which signifies the raising of the vibrational frequencies from that, you could say, demonic element in man to that higher resonance of the fourth chakra, which deals in a relationship of loving communion with oneself and with the higher powers of the cosmos, and therefore one's fellow human beings. And so six signifies esoterically the six-figured star of commonly associated as the star of David. And that star, the six-pointed star, is associated with the lower tri triangle, which is the descent of the spirit of the mother, so to speak, of uh, the feminine um, aspect of God that the Holy Spirit, in another way, of the dove descending upon Christ at his baptism, reaching, it's essentially the Spirit of God, um, the maternal aspect of the Spirit of God descending towards man, seeking to raise him up 
to where she is, uh, to that fourth chakra of love, and the bottom or the um, the upper triangle represents the spirit, the divine spark within the individual, seeking to rise upwards towards the heavens to meet in holy communion with the divine force um, latent within himself and throughout the rest of the cosmos. And so from the very outset of this first chapter of the New Testament, there is encoded a secret message as to the process of individuation beginning in what the alchemists would term as the prima materia, which is the chaos of the selfishness selfishness of the individual seeking only to bend you know the forces of nature and of one's relationships to others to serve one's own um, self-gratifying ends of self-preservation pleasure and power to another stage of development um, represented you have to go through the 15 of the devil archetype to get to that higher stage of the recognition of the shadow within oneself uh, to ascertain the stage of development of the six, which is the lovers, which is the opening of the heart chakra and the manifestation of the spirit of the divine within oneself and relating to that like spirit within the whole of the cosmos and within one's fellow human beings. And that is the genealogy of the Christ, of Jesus, representing Jesus being representative of the human and the Christ being representative of the transhuman element within all humans and within all of existence. And together they form basically the Savior, which if we don't engage with and employ ourselves towards the development of, there is no salvation, there is no hope, there is no eternal life, an eternal meaning complete life. There is no fullness of life. There is only seeking to gratify one's base instincts by using and abusing one's power towards that gratification and seeing other people as merely a means to an end and other objects in nature as merely a means to an end instead of being inherently, you know, um, meaningful and full of self-worth in and of themselves. And it's that recognition of that like spirit in all beings and all existence that is the unfoldment of the Christ within ourselves and is the genealogy of Christ. So there's probably more that could be said um, in terms of, you know, the angel coming to Joseph and how he was righteous and not seeking to stone his wife because she was found pregnant and breaking their sacred, you know, uh, marital vows. It, he was a righteous man, according to the scriptures, for not for wanting to send her off in secrecy so she wouldn't be ashamed in, in the public's eye. And I think that goes to reflect what the New Testament is seeking to convey in terms of what it considers to be a righteous human being. Whereas in the Old Testament, I think the law would have required her to be stoned to death. But this is a new kind of righteousness. It's a new kind of development not um, bound to the previous cultural restrictions on human behavior, but he was found righteous in the eyes of the Lord and the angel of the Lord in dreams, which is very interesting as well in terms of, um, you know, Jungian dream analysis and psychoanalytic dream analysis. It's often where 
our further stages of development are seeking to convey what we ought to be doing if we're going to live whole lives. And he, he, he heeds his dreams, um, you know, promptings to not send her away, but to take him as, take her as his wife and to raise this child. And the child's name, it's interesting, it says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God's with, God's with, God with us, which again is pointing to that development of the recognition of the six-pointed star where the descent of God is seeking to come upon man and women and the spirit of the divine within the individual, both male and female, is seeking to rise up to meet in Holy Communion and yet, the name isn't Emmanuel, it's, it's, it's Jesus, which is actually not uh, how you would pronounce it in ancient uh, Hebrew. It, it would be more, um, I've heard it said that it's really ought to be pronounced Yahushua. And of course, Jesus, um, there's a long history as to why it's pronounced Jesus instead of Yahushua, but Yahushua is the name of the Lord in the Old Testament, his personal name uh, of Yahweh, um, which literally means, I will be that which I will be, or I am that which I am. And the difference between Yahweh and Yahushua is that there's Shin in the middle of Yud Ha Veha, which would translate it into I will be that which saves I will be and so that is the name of the one who represents God with us it's that um, esoteric significance of the name I will be that which I will I will be that which saves I will be is God with us it's that seeking to relate to others and ourselves and the whole of existence with the conscious awareness of the divine significance of the whole of reality that sets apart Christ within the individual. Um, and it's that process that leads to salvation. And I think that will wrap up this first episode and chapter of a very significant book of our culture that has been long since forgotten and misunderstood and misapplied as an external savior. Our savior is external and internal, it's both, because there is no separation between the two. Um, but to get fixated on the external to the exclusion of the internal is to lose the esoteric and occult significance of the human development of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be saved. And so I have hope this rough draft of an introduction into this important work of literature and mythology and religion and spirituality has served a purpose. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, this has been Pandora's Perspective. Peace out.